Welcome to Double Tap Business. This is a business podcast where we talk about startups, product launches, marketing strategies, and I'm Alex Ferrer. I've built and scaled a number of online businesses from SaaS and e-commerce to media. By the way, this is part one to the super app conversation with Magnus Grimland. Because of the internet connection, we were not able to record the whole thing, but it has a lot of value and introduction to the super apps. And if you want to learn more, part two will be out on February 18th. We have Magnus Grimland. I met Magnus in Singapore when I was joining his first cohort in the startup incubator. And now Antler is global. Hi, Magnus. Hi, great to see you, Alex. And uh, thanks a lot for inviting me. Look, I want to talk about super apps because one, you now lead global startup. You probably meet hundreds, if not thousands of entrepreneurs worldwide. You are in Asia where super apps are picking up and basically they're setting the trends. And you've spoken about super apps before. I will probably talk about from the side of the consumer perspective. And I think it's best you kind of consult and give advice to entrepreneurs because we have quite a few entrepreneurs listening here. But let's start with this. Give a quick intro about yourself. Yeah, so uh, quickly, I come from Norway originally. Uh, grew up in uh, kind of farm country in Norway. The first business I started actually is where I think I was 12 years old or so. Where I, I got a hold of some eggs and then we heated them under kind of a very cheap heating lamp to create some chicken. Chicken grew older and uh, they started making eggs and I, I was selling eggs for... Uh, 10 cents an egg to kind of everyone around uh, and uh, that was a lot of money I remember I think the income was one, one or two dollars uh, a day but uh, it, it was it was really cool so that was my first experience kind of growing up in Norway at the farm there and then I uh, ended up uh, going to United World College this high school uh, international high school there's one here in Singapore there's a few of them all across the globe I went to the one in the UK um, that was a Bit by chance, I was reading an article as I was lighting the fireplace, and I read about the school and got very, very excited. And uh, you know, I was too young to apply, but a few years later, I applied, lucky to get a scholarship there, and uh, and and went and took the IB there. And went back to Norway, joined the military where I was in the Norwegian Navy SEALs, and uh, through this high school in, in Wales, I'd, I'd heard of great things about Harvard mm. and applied there. And uh, also applied to medical school in Norway, but was lucky to get into Harvard and got, got a full scholarship there as well, which allowed me to, to to go to the U.S. and take an education, which was super exciting because at the time there wasn't the, the tech ecosystem as we know it today was 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 quite a bit smaller. Uh, there was the dot com boom and bust in the late nineties, yeah. and then kind of two thousand three and onwards when I was there, a lot of the kind of big platforms that are currently being built were built. Obviously, the biggest one that came out of the college at the time was Facebook. Exciting times because in the early days, I knew everyone on Facebook. Now I only know a few of the 2 billion active users <laughs> that they had. Uh, but you could see that journey and had an impact on the world. And I decided uh, from then and onwards really to, uh, to to focus my career and, and my time on, on tech businesses and the the way tech can have big impact on the world. I later joined McKinsey, working with tech companies all across the globe from, you know, Asia. I spent a lot of time working in Asia and the US, a bit in Europe, uh, working with the world leading tech companies and a bunch of growth tech companies. 
So I learned a lot from them before coming to Asia and building my own tech company called Solora.com, which mm. is the biggest fashion e-commerce company here. For people in the US, it's somewhat similar to Sappos. For people in Europe, it's somewhat similar to Zalando and ASOS. Uh, and it's the biggest fashion e-commerce company now in Southeast Asia. And we saw as we were building Solora that a number of the people that had been part of that journey would leave to build their own tech businesses. So, for example, Gojek here in the region was started by our Indonesia team. Uh, Shopee, which is kind of Amazon here in the region, was built by uh, one of the people, one of our co-founders who used to run uh, buying analytics and buying. And, uh, you know, we thought it's such a great idea and such a great thing to do with your life to support aspiring entrepreneurs who have this type of background because you can see that people can, you know, they can hire and influence the life of millions of people and create billions of dollars of value in a very short period of time and solve important problems. So that was the idea behind Antler. So we launched Antler here in, in 2018, scaled Antler since then globally. We support founders throughout their journey. We invest directly into companies uh, from seed to series C. But on top of that, if you're an inspiring entrepreneur and you're just getting started on your journey, we'd love to help from day one. So yeah. we also kind of make investment pre-incorporation of companies based on amazing teams and amazing business models. So yeah, you should come and check us out at answer.co. And uh, you know, we'd, we'd love to work with uh, with great founders. So that's quick, quick, quickly my story. I'm pretty <laughs> impressed with your background, but the most important thing that is like the most impressive to me is the Navy SEAL training. It's in my bucket list to do like the, just like the Navy SEAL training or as a, like the entrance test. Like I was looking at it just last night because it's pretty hardcore and I was like, that's kind of my, my goal for, for the life. But as of Adler, I think it was a very profound experience for me. I built a great network and relationships that like I left Singapore now I'm in London. I'm still communicating with like in France with like Adler people. And so like, a, it's a very like nice community now. And it's now it's truly global. Like you're on all continents, right? Except for South America. Yeah, we're not in South America yet. We, we have started looking at uh, setting up there. So yeah, it, hopefully coming soon. We want to talk about super apps and you're in Asia. The trend of super apps is coming from the east to the west, slowly but surely. Uh, let's define first, what is a super app? A super app is an app where uh, you can utilize a certain infrastructure, whether it's uh, your data or your profile, your payments, uh, capability, whatever it is, to serve a number of different functions and to deliver value across a number of different areas. And... Um, you know, it's quite interesting if you look at how the biggest companies in the West, also the tech companies have developed versus how a lot of the biggest tech companies in the East has has developed. Yeah. Because you will see in, in, in the West a much more kind of focus on solving one specific problem, right? Whether it's, uh, you know, for example, Uber, I think it's a great example. They were more or less fully focused for a very long time uh, on just moving people from A to B. And when they later launched food delivery, they actually launched that in a separate app called Uber Eats. Now, the way this works in, in Asia, uh, and I think this is starting to happen as well more in, in the West, is that they will integrate all those services into one app infrastructure. So for great examples are, take WeChat in China, yeah. where you can, you can get your laundry done, you can order food, you can pay for things, you can chat with your friends, you can play games, you can do whatever you can really within one app infrastructure 
in Southeast Asia, the best example I think is is Grab Taxi, where literally when I wake up in the morning, I can order my breakfast on the app. I can uh, take a car to work with the app. Uh, I if I go out and want a coffee, I can pay for it with the app. I can literally if I want to go to a movie in the evening, I can buy the movie tickets in the app. If I want food to be delivered home, I can do it through the app. So it's literally integrating all of those services that you normally have in kind of one separate company into one app infrastructure mm. and leveraging my payment details, my wallet and all of that across these services, right? So um, they're quite p- powerful institutions when you get mm. it right. And it's su- super convenient from a user perspective. I remember when I was in Singapore, you use Grab literally for everything. Then you go to Bali, you get a... Uh, Gojek, yeah, exactly. You can get a taxi in terms of like a scooter or a car, or then you can order order a food, which is like super convenient. What are the conveniences for a business to be a super app? Obviously, like it sounds fucking amazing, right? Like a super app, but like what are the conveniences? Yeah. So I think there are advantages and disadvantages, but the major advantage is if you have created a lot of customers that values and trust your brand to help uh, you help them solve one specific problem they have. So let's say in the Uber example again, when Grab got started, the first problem they solved was moving people from A to B. And they onboarded millions of customers that came on board for this specific service. Now, when you have millions of customers uh, that uh, are on your app, they've uploaded your payment information, you KYC them, you know where they are, you know where they live, uh, you can very easily leverage that to sell a lot of other things. And that means that whenever you launch a new service, the onboarding cost is very low because they're already in your app infrastructure. The user experience is amazing because I don't have to upload my credit card information again. I don't have to download another app. Uh, In countries with low bandwidth, so where uh, there is less kind of 4G and now 5G rollout and the cost of data is higher. Uh, the bandwidth needed both in terms of downloading the app, opening the app, using the app, all of that is much lower when it's within one app infrastructure. Yeah. So there's a number of advantages. Um, so what we encourage kind of companies that have reached a certain scale to do is, um, uh, you know, how can you leverage that customer base and the trust that you build as an entity, obviously you can only do that if you have built trust with a big amount of customers. How can you leverage that to create even more value for your company, but through solving more problems for your customers, basically? So that's that's all the advantages. The disadvantages, obviously, is that it removes kind of focus away from one core product. So you need to be set up as a company to execute on this. There are platforms out there, and we invested in one of them called uh, Appobopso, which is a great company, which literally is a piece of code and a B2B model for any any app to become a super app. Meaning, let's say you have an app which sells dog food. I'm just a crazy example, but it sells dog food to like a few hundred thousand customers. And then you want to start selling movie tickets, or you want to start selling trips. And they have integrated APIs with all of those other services as easily integrated into your app. So you can leverage your customer base to solve more problems and deliver more value. Now, the example I gave is probably not the best one because you don't want to go too far away from from your core. 
but you can imagine that if you're selling dog food, you might want to offer veterinarian services. You might want to offer uh, insurance for pets. You might want to offer other types of products. And instead of having to build a whole infrastructure to do that, you can through Aquabox you kind of onboard these other services that they've integrated mm. through an API and become a super app. Yeah. When do you start? Like when do founders start thinking about uh, becoming a super app or start integrating other services? Because I've seen a lot of entrepreneurs who right in the beginning before they even have an MVP say I'm gonna be this and that and that before they have a solid product. And what you're mentioned sounds like it was an at early stage. What's like the recommended usually period of time? First build trust with a set of customers um, and and solve one problem so that you build up a bit of traction. Uh, but build that in a way where it's easy for you to add other modules after. So I think like the most important thing is do one thing well first, get that done. But then when you're building your infrastructure, think about the ability to add subsequent kind of modules Right. So I think yeah. it's in the beginning, it's more of a kind of product design question so that you easily can enable adding more things. you got to focus on solving one problem, because if, if you and I were to launch a super app that does everything today, it wouldn't really help anyone because we don't have any customers. Right. So it's like and also it takes a bit of trust to say, OK, I'm the best at 10 different things. It's easy to build trust within one specific thing and then add on things after. And you can do that now at lower cost through utilizing someone like Apple Boxer, or you can build it yourself. And I've seen people like Grab, for example, they do a hybrid. So some of this stuff they they uh, build out themselves, and some of it they integrate to other operators through APIs. So it doesn't, you know, once you, but but you, you can't do that unless you have a bit of traction. You start building trust with a, with, with a serious amount of customers. Mm. Yeah, you need a customer base first, and then you can think of other ways how to monetize that audience. I've seen different examples. For some companies, it makes sense to expand within the same category to bring new services within the category. For example, MailChimp just uh, launched the, the website builder when they're ready to do the emails. And so if you look at it, like they probably looked at it that way. We have these customers, probably like small, medium-sized businesses. What other services they can use that they're not necessarily attached to? Right. But then other businesses like Grab, for example, goes completely different direction, says we're going to do something else. Yeah. Would you look at this as you start with the customer? uh, What what else can I give to this uh, customer base? Or you're thinking more like high frequency, low margin business or like that people are not really attached to any other business? How how would you basically prioritize other services you you bring on? I would think about adding things first that are... um somewhat adjacent to your core business, right? As I spoke about in the dog food examples. For example, you wouldn't go from dog food probably to sell movie tickets. You probably would go from from kind of dog food to onboarding veterinarian services, onboarding uh, pet insurance, onboarding other things that are adjacent to why that customer base is set your app in the first place, right? Which with the example you gave in MailChimp makes perfect sense because you have a newsletter uh, it typically will also have website needs. Uh, there are other services, news service, uh, uh, newsletter services out there who have, you know, one very easy adjacency is uh, like a blog web page, right? S- similar to, to Medium where, you know, if you set up a newsletter, you might as well turn it into an article, right? So there are kind of 
that's the number one thing I think about. What are adjacent opportunities uh, that my customer base would, would love for me to provide and that they easily would jump onto because it's close to the core of why they came to me in the first place, right? So I'd start there and then you can start expanding that universe, right? For example, if you're MailChimp, perhaps the first customers who come in, they came in only because of the newsletter, but after a while, you have people actually came in because of the website stuff. And then if you're a website developer, then you can kind of go into productivity tools or you can go a lot of other directions that you probably wouldn't have done if you were uh, uh, just 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 uh, uh, a newsletter CRM system. So um, that's that's the way I think about it. It's like, what's a, what's a good good value add and then obviously you should also only do it if uh, if it creates real value for the customers right that's number one that you're really solving a, a real problem and then secondly obviously from a business perspective you should ensure that it's obviously not sustainable if you if, if it adds more cost than it does revenue so you need to ensure that you know it's marginally net contributing to your to, to your business yeah no i agree i think you you add services with the goal that your customer acquisition cost on average will go down because then you spread it across two services and then your uh, LTV lifetime value of a customer goes up because then they would pay for hopefully two services or one and a half at least. Twitter Twitter is now bringing the new newsletter feature, which is uh, Bitstack is already doing and uh, a bunch of other companies are doing. You can do newsletter through some apps and now Twitter is... Uh, testing the feature and obviously before you launch like full-on feature you want to test it but what twitter is doing twitter is investing it as a separate kind of entity not as a part of twitter and you were talking about the hybrid models versus having everything in house what are pros and cons of one done by the same company and two then integrated through apis yeah i I think if it's very close to the core you might as well, just do it yourself. So, for example, a good example is Spotify and podcasts. So, uh, you know, Spotify just had, I think, a record quarter, and I think a lot of that was driven by kind of unique podcast content. If they had then invested in another podcast company in this, through a separate app and then integrated it into Spotify, probably wouldn't make sense because it's so close to the core, right? So, I think the things that are close to the core. Uh, you might as well just build it yourself um, if you believe you can deliver a better product. Now, if it's a little bit further away or if you feel someone else can deliver a better product, you might as well kind of in- invest and or integrate their service through through an API. And I think like a few masters of this out there is, I think Tencent might be the best people in, in the world on this. So, you know, they invested very heavily into gaming companies that are, now have the biggest games in the world and they help distribute those through the WeChat platform. Pinduadua, which is now, I can't remember his valuation, but it's like, Crazy. it must be like a hundred billion plus or something. Yeah. Uh, it's been one of the fastest growing companies in the world. Uh, they invested in, and then, you know, by far uh, WeChat is their biggest distribution channel. And then you capture value in two ways, right? You capture value through your investment which um, you know can leverage your existing distribution capability, uh, and that company obviously the stake Tencent have now in Pinduoduo is worth a lot of money. So you capture value that way, and then you capture value through your ecosystem and through your existing app, 
like like WeChat because everyone is paying through your payment system. Everyone is uh, all the marketing spend is through your 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 channels. So you know they're capturing in that sense kind of value in two ways. But again, like social commerce was probably so far away from the core of Tencent and WeChat that it doesn't make sense to, for them to build it themselves. Somebody else would build it. They invest and then they leverage the distribution channels. And I think you know if you integrate early startups in this way onto your app and onto your um, uh, your customer segments, it becomes a pretty compelling. Uh, way to figure out which companies you should invest in, right? Let's say you have a user base that, um, you know, let's say you have 10 million customers, you onboard a new service on your platform from uh, a third party, uh, and that takes off like crazy, then, you know, you might want to approach that company to ask them where you can invest in their business, right? Because you know it's a good investment opportunity. If you onboard something that your customers really don't like or you get bad feedback on or whatever, you should probably take it off your platform and not invest in the business. So it's also kind of, it's a great way to find good investment opportunities. <laughs> sure. Especially if you don't have a lot of cash to kind of build everything in-house. That's what Shopify did, right? Uh, Shopify opened a store for other businesses to provide kind of add-on services or a kind of plugins. And when they saw some subplugins really taking off and being successful and generating a lot of money, Shopify said, "Hey, we would like to acquire you." And yeah, then it actually works for uh, for everyone. And those kind of like the medium sized fish, they're like, "Okay, wouldn't you, you will offer services on our marketplace, and you you behave as a kind of independent uh, service, and we still benefit from you, but we're not going to acquire you." So I think that's like a great example. And you, you see you see it actually quite now a lot across different business models because I think most businesses today are thinking of becoming super uh, super apps in one way or another. Whether it is B two B, Amazon, uh, AW services, it's a perfect example. Although like they they're the monster that build basically everything in house, or like obviously they do acquisitions, but they have like hundreds of apps that are for developers. Is it a super app if you say I'm gonna bring five more services that are not really very relevant to to my core product? Uh, can you hear me? And that's where we got disconnected. But here's what we learned: super apps are the future, or they're already the present. You can use one app to order food, to pay for that food, to send money to your friends. You can uh, do your laundry and to different services within the uh, one app. And it's becoming more and more of a thing, especially in Asia. And now this trend is taken from the East to the West. And uh, I believe most apps or most companies today are aspired to become super apps in one way or another. And this trend is inevitable. So if you're an entrepreneur, build a core customer audience and then start expanding on other services or, or on other product products that you have. Something that is obviously relevant to the audience, so then it makes financial sense for your business to do so. Uh, but obviously the core audience is important. What we didn't have time to talk about is the challenges. Subscribe to this podcast on Spotify or Apple Music so you don't miss the next episode with Magnus. Unfortunately, his internet connection was not good, but we're going to have him in the next podcast. That was me, Alex Ferre, and Double Tap Business. Psst. If you're still here, go check out antler.co. 
I personally benefited a lot from the startup incubator. I built a great network of amazing driven people around the world. I was mentored by some of the most successful entrepreneurs in the tech environment. And uh, this is a great opportunity for you to raise money for your startup and just to learn a lot. This is like the fast track to learn shit. So go check it out if you're in the startup world or at least give this podcast a subscribe. We'll catch you next week. Thanks for listening. Peace.